Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome. You're listening to the Golf Under Par podcast. As the title suggests, on The Gup, we talk about all things relating to golf performance. So you can golf under par. While listening, you'll hear discussion on all facets of golf, physical, mental, and whatever else will make you a better golfer. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. I'm a golfer myself, as well as a physical therapist and strength coach. Let's take this journey together to golf under par. Thank you for listening. Now let's dive in. Welcome to the Golf Under Par podcast. I'm Dr. Jeremy McCullough here with Dr. Russ Manalastis. Uh, and he's a manual physical therapist, a board certified sports therapist, and a strength coach. He owns Mana Performance Therapy up in Rochester, New York. He's also the host of Pain Free Golf Performance Podcast. So thank you so much, Russ, for being on here, man. Jeremy, thanks so much, man. This is, uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun here. This is going to be a great time. Yeah, I'm excited. So I always start off asking everybody, what got you into golf? Yeah. So, you know, my history with golf, or at least my background with golf is, you know, I didn't play in high school. I didn't play in college. Um, I played recreationally. Um, my dad kind of introduced my brother and I to the, the sport of golf at a pretty young age. Um, I think we started playing maybe around seven or eight years old. I had my first junior set. Now, um, just for context, I'm, I'm a lefty, right? So, um, you know, my brother was a righty and my dad was a righty. So, my my brother would get all the great hand-me-downs, right? My dad would always upgrade his clubs every, you know, th- you know, three to five years. And my brother would get all the great hand-me-downs. And um, I would always get the clubs that were my dad's friend's friend, right? It was it was always you know, it was always something that was, um, you know, obviously a, a little different than the newer technology that was available. So, you know, um, we got into golf at a young age, and you know, we just kind of played with my dad pretty um, pretty frequently when we were younger. You know, we were fortunate enough, my dad kind of lived on a golf course um, when we were kids. So um, we got to be able to play pretty frequently. Um, and, you know, we always kind of stuck with, you know, just playing whenever we could. You know, my brother and I, we both play sports as, as growing up as kids. And even though golf wasn't maybe the, the primary focus, we still wanted to play multiple sports. And during the summer, golf was just a, a sport that we picked up. And, you know, we always kind of came back to it. So, you know, you know, fast forward now into uh, undergrad and, and grad school, I actually probably played the most golf I've ever played in grad school in physical therapy school, um, which is kind of you know crazy to hear. But there was a golf course right across the street. I went to the University of Buffalo, and um, there's a golf course called Grover Cleveland. Now, again, wasn't anything to write home about. It was pretty wide open. It was pretty uh, pretty flat. But it gave me an opportunity to really kind of go out after class and play 18 with a bunch of our buddies. And um, I wanted to say we probably played multiple times per week during during PT school. So people think PT school is like, hey. It's, you know, it's super strenuous and you know, don't get me wrong. It is. But at the same point in time, we had a really, really good time and we had a good group of friends where we can, you know, get a couple of foursomes out and go out and play. So um, I played a ton of golf in college, um, just again, recreationally. And then once I came out and um, started practicing, you know, my, I felt like my skills got, skill set kind of gravitated towards the rotational athlete. So whether that's baseball players, whether that's, um, you know, golfers, whether that's hockey players, and um, I felt like, you know, my skill set was more kind of gravitated towards that rotational sport athlete. So, you know, we did a little bit of work with baseball. I, you know, I worked in Baltimore for about five years, um, had the opportunity to kind of see, you know, a little bit more kind of, 
you know, the, the youth athlete, the recreational athlete, the collegiate athlete um, in, a, in a traditional PT model. And, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, in that traditional PT model, I'm sure you, you've experienced this, Jeremy, is that you know, sometimes you just can't spend as much time as you'd like to with the people that, that you really want to try and invest your time in. And um, that becomes um, almost a deterrent as to maybe want why you maybe want to go a different route. And that's what we did. So um, we opened up our business uh, a couple of years back and we want to kind of focus on the one on one model and, um, and be able to kind of serve the, the, the athletic population a little bit better. Because I think I definitely think the, the athletic population, in particular golfers, it's an underserved population. You know, golfers wear pain like a badge of honor. Um, and for whatever reason that is, right? So, you know, I've got low back pain, I've got, you know, shoulder pain, neck pain, I'm stiff in the morning. And the problem is they don't emphasize, you know, doing something about it. They just emphasize by playing more golf, right? They'll play 18 holes, 36 holes. And, um, you know, by the time they're getting back to the clubhouse, having a couple of cocktails, they need those cocktails to kind of alleviate some of that discomfort, which is crazy, right? So it's a, it's a, it's a different mindset. And I think, you know, I think what you and I are trying to do with the, the golf athlete is try and figure out what can we do to help them understand how to manage some of the discomfort that they're having and hopefully mitigate that and improve their performance, which is ultimately what we're looking for. So, you know, we kind of got into the golf space once we opened up our business a couple of years back. And, you know, we kind of have a look back since we, we see a ton of golfers. I'm actually, you know, for those that are actually watching live, I'm sitting um, at our satellite office at Cobblestone Creek Country Club in Victor, New York. Um, we're sitting in the simulator room, right? So I've got two simulator bays kind of hanging out here and having this conversation with you. So, you know, we do see a good amount of golfers. And, um, you know, that's allowed me an opportunity to kind of really niche down and uh, give you know, my full effort to, you know, a sport that I think has a lot of things that they need to kind of change in terms of understanding that health and fitness, strength and conditioning, that, you know, it's it's very much part of the conversation and needs to be better a better part of the conversation so that, you know, a lot of these nagging issues have a tendency to kind of come down. So, you know, I, I, I've got three kids and my, my ability to play golf over the last couple of years has been really tough. Like last year, I think I played maybe four times total. Right. But you look at this year, I made it an, an emphasis to try and play more golf this year. And I've played more golf this year than I have combined over the last four or five. Right. So, um, you know, I think the, the important part is I want to understand the game just as much as anyone else. And, you know, in order to under, truly understand the game, yes, you can read textbooks, you can read, you know, blogs and YouTube videos and things like that. But ultimately, I want to make sure that I can understand what golfers are going through when I go through my swing and when I go through my approach so that I can best, you know, put my best foot forward when, when they come to me, when they've got some sort of issue. Yeah, no, I think that's really important. I actually was listening to your podcast before we were getting on, just kind of get a feel for, for what you, what you offer and whatnot. And yeah. um, I was listening to the one with, uh, I want to say it was Steve Gonzalez, mental yeah. coach up there yeah, yeah. in New York. I think he's yeah. working with Dartmouth now. Coach. Yeah, he's, uh, so he's, he used to be um, a partner with uh, our, our strength conditioning again. Our strength conditioning uh, facility that we're in, next level strength conditioning. They're more of kind of the the the, the team approach, right? So Dr. G was our mental coach. You know, we did the rehab. We've got Heather, who's our massage therapist, and then we've got a bunch of strength coaches that that kind of you know bring a part that you know bring a bring that performance aspect to all the athletes that come through the doors there. So Dr. G was with us for a while. Um, he has now moved on to, to Dartmouth, and he's doing amazing things up there. Um, wealth of knowledge. Uh, he's Again, from when, and again, when you talk about the, the sport of golf, there's a huge mental component to it. You know, I'm sure you've experienced it. I've experienced it tenfold over the last couple of weeks. Um, it's just one of those things where if it's not, again, part of the routine, people just think that it's, it's not important, but it definitely is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways, and so on that podcast, he talks about, uh, well, I guess it was the uh, Indiana Jones scene where he yeah. 
<laughs> he says, you know, you got to get out and and not just study, you know, study from the books or whatever, be in the library or something along yes. those lines. I yeah. butchered the quote, but yeah. the thought process is, you know, you have to understand what is it like being out there. So yeah. I think, you know, like you said, getting out on the course to better understand what do these players go through? What are they thinking? What do they really want? And that allows you to be better at communicating with them and getting them the results that they're wanting. So I definitely I, agree with that. Absolutely. You know, I think a lot of golfers, you know, when when they go to see a healthcare provider, they're almost kind of reserved. They're almost kind of got this guard up because they're not exactly sure what you're going to tell them. You know, ultimately, and you know, a lot of a lot of what we tell our clients is, listen, we're not going to tell you to stop playing golf unless we absolutely need to, right? If there's a huge flare up and you know it's not only affecting your golf game but it's affecting your day to day stuff, then maybe we need to kind of um, reevaluate what's going on, right? But most times when we are trying to manage something that's going on from the golf standpoint, we'll just modify some things. Maybe we need to get modify, modify how many holes they're playing each week or do something in that regard where we're not taking everything away from them. Right. And I think a lot of times when people go to healthcare providers, they're going to say, listen, if golfing is bothering you, stop golfing. We see that with runners too. Hey, running's bothering you, stop running. Right. These are all things that the traditional healthcare provider will tell you. But I think, you know, when you look at that approach, it's not, it's not looking at the long-term vision, right. It might help in the short term, but long-term, as soon as you stop doing something for a couple of weeks and as soon as you go back to it, it's probably going to come right back. So, you know, that active, uh, that active approach that you and I, I, th I think we both preach, you know, it's one of those things where if you can, again, communicate that with the golf athlete or whatever athlete that's coming through your door, that allows them to kind of get that guard down and say, hey, listen, this guy's not taking this away from me. He wants me to do this so we can figure out how best to manage it moving forward. Yeah, no, I, you know. I conversation I have with most of my golfers, you know, having an injury, I'm so they're going, okay, I'm not going to take golf away from you, but we might scale it yeah. back some, but th think about this. And I always go into the conversation of how many full shots do you need to practice in order to be ready for playing golf? Right. Right. And th that always comes down to, okay, you're only going to do 30 to 35 full shots right. in a round. Right. And the rest of them are coming from your, your short game, your chips, your putts. And yeah. so it's like, okay, we can work on that usually almost in any condition without right. much, much issue, right? It's usually the full swings that cause most of the issues with, with golfers in particular, at least. Right. And especially too, like not only during wall playing 18, I think it's, it's the range practice that people get in trouble with, right? Is that they want to hit more balls. They hit hundreds of balls per week. And then, you know, when they go out and play on the course, that's when a lot of these things have a tendency to rear their ugly head. But you know, I think a lot of times it's that range work, right? It's the volume and it's, it's managing the volume of the practice that they're doing. Um, Cause I think a lot of times, like we talked about just to kind of debunk a lot of stuff, people think they need to hit more balls to get better, or maybe they need just uh, maybe a basic warm up, or they maybe need to kind of just prep the better mm -hmm. so that they don't need to feel like they need to hit 60, 70 balls just to feel warm, then go out and play it. Right. So again, those are all things that we try and kind of emphasize when the golf athlete comes through our doors. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about these injuries and whatnot so i've discussed with multiple medical providers about about golf injuries and sure. back pain is always one of the ones that we get to talk about um so i want to kind of get away from back pain so yeah outside of back pain what are some you know maybe interesting or a little more common things but that might affect a golfer yeah so what we've been seeing come through our doors lately is more kind of wrist issues um we've been seeing a lot of kind of like uh, wrist sprains and um you know uh, hamate issues so again the hamate is a bone in, in your in your hand there and um especially on impact is what we're seeing is that a lot of these golfers will have discomfort in their hand and in their wrist as they make impact with either the ground or the ball um so we've been seeing that kind of come into our doors over the last couple of weeks and again when we look at the big picture a lot of it is because they're playing more golf 
right? They're playing more frequently. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily the golf that's doing is they're playing more. Um, so, you know, when we look at that, a lot of these wrist sprains that we're seeing, um, they're kind of, you know, whether they're bowing the wrist, whether they're cupping the wrist, and then on impact, what does the, the, the wrist and hand position look like? Are they catching the, the, the ground? Like, are they cutting the ground first before they catch the ball? Are they hitting heavier fat shots? You know, these are all things that we're trying to figure out to ultimately figure out how can we mitigate the, the impact on the wrist? Because ultimately that jarring from the ground is what's potentially causing some of that irritation. So um, we've been seeing a ton of wrists lately. Um, so what we've been trying to figure out is how can we manage that? And again, the wrist issue might not necessarily be a wrist issue, right? So what we see is when we try and look at the golf swing, some of our golfers from a swing characteristic standpoint, what we call early extending, right? So their hips are coming closer to the ball. And all of a sudden now they have to use your arms and hands a little bit more in order to get your hands in a decent position on impact, right? To be able to kind of manipulate the club face to be able to kind of hit the ball square. Um, and secondly, too, what we've been seeing is a lot of people are like are casting, right? So a lot of times on the, on the downswing, they've got this loopier swing. So their hands come out a little bit further out. And what happens is they're hitting the ground first before they hit the ball. Um, so those are some of the things that we're kind of seeing from um, an injury standpoint or um, just an irritation standpoint or a sensitivity standpoint where, you know, a lot of wrist issues have a tendency to kind of creep up, especially as you play more golf. Now, if you look at, you know, long term, we we've only had a couple come in our door, but like we talk about that handmade bone, there's like a little uh, lip. It's called the hook of the handmade. And sometimes you can fracture that, um, especially when you turn the club over as you go from impact to your follow through, right? So um, we have seen a couple of those come through our doors. Sometimes you can manage it conservatively, right? And unfortunately, when you manage it conservatively, you have to mobilize that area, right? Or you can manage it with surgery where they just kind of take that small little bone or the hook of the hammock, they kind of take it apart or take it out, right? And then all of a sudden you kind of get going with the recovery process. But again, I think wrist hand issues are something that uh, golfers just have a tendency to kind of deal with and they don't really think much of. They Usually it's something else that's bothering them more that it doesn't allow them to really kind of focus on the wrist and the hand. But ultimately, like we talked about, when we talk, when we talk about, hey, can you what we call deviate the wrist in certain positions to be able to deliver the club properly on impact? Those are some things that we have a tendency to see over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, that brings my thought to, you know, talk about how it's one of those things where, oh, it just bothers you for a little bit. And you're like, OK, well, that's not something serious. I'll, I'll uh, it'll be OK after a little right. bit. I'm like, I played a lot of basketball growing up being in Indiana, you know, basketball's the thing. Yeah, and, sure. you didn't play basketball, you were a loser. So <laughs> uh, the, the, um, I feel like ankle sprains are huge in basketball. Sure. And everybody's, everything's like, oh, you know, just won't play as much or you just tape it up really tight and you're good to go. And it's like, yeah, right. that's, uh, you know, maybe that's the short term solution, but what's the long term? So I, right. I think, like you said, okay, looking at this full picture of what does the swing look like? And I think, that might be where it's very important to then have a swing coach involved because no question. way more about swing coach than, than either one of us do being uh, physical therapists and strength coaches. But, yeah. but yeah. And so I think these looking at this holistic approach, this, this whole spectrum approach is, is what's going to get you that long-term goal that we're looking for rather than just a short-term fix is uh, granted. All of us want that short-term, like, you know, you, you watch the YouTube video and you're like, Oh, I can do that. Right. right. Like that's a thing better or something like that. But, yeah. That really going to get you that, that, that end result. Yeah, we, we, we're, we've been fortunate enough to ha- uh, have a lot of uh, swing coaches and instructors in the local area to, you know, one, ask our clients that come in, do you have a swing coach? And if you don't, you know, let's maybe kind of connect you with some. Right. So that way you can get a better feel for, hey, you know, again, like you just said, I'm a strength coach. I'm a physical therapist. Um, I know obviously some of the swing characteristics that we're aware of. Right. But 
I don't, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, I have to stay in my lane, right? Like the technical aspects and things like that to address those, it goes far beyond what I can kind of recommend. So, you know, that's why bringing in that team approach of, you know, having a swing coach or an instructor to help kind of guide them, right? Well, we can deal with the kind of the physical ailments that golfers are dealing with. But then once we clear some of that stuff up, can we kind of manipulate the swing, whether it's path or whatever it may be that, that the coach or the swing coach might kind of address so that these things don't continue to happen long term? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So going back to the, specifically the wrist here, um, and you mentioned, you know, whether it's hitting a fad or, or just the repetitiveness of, of the activity, the jarring effect of, of that, that hammock there from the yeah. club. Um, what are some things that maybe we can do to minimize the risk besides, you know, completely altering, you know, maybe some of the techniques and stuff like that? Yeah. Well, again, you know, kind of going back to the conversation we had about before, like, you know, people always say, well, listen, if this bothers you, stop doing it. Well, I think we just need to modify a little bit. Right. So, you know, we look at if a wrist or, you know, if it's a forearm issue, you know, we always like to look above and below the area of, of issues there, right? So, you know, we'll look at mobility, we'll look at strength, we'll look at, you know, can they, and again, a lot of times too, when it comes to the wrist, can they deviate the wrist back and forth, but also can they rotate the hand up and down, right? Like think about kind of turning your knob, right? For the listeners that are listening to the podcast, right? If they don't have the ability to kind of rotate or kind of deviate the wrist back and forth, then maybe those are some things we'll kind of start with, right? People, when they have discomfort, you know, we want to kind of get them to the point where they can gradually expose the wrist to certain stresses that maybe are a little bit more sensitive, but maybe not push too far than that. People think, hey, no pain, no gain. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, when you do that, you might just make that tissue more sensitive and that potentially could delay your recovery process, right? So when we talk about some things that we do with our golfers or, or things like that, like, you know, and a lot of times too, it's that compression. So if you think about compression on the wrist, like putting your hand to get in, you know, get yourself off the bed or like, let's say, you know, doing a push up, that's more that can compression that can potentially bother some of those golf athletes that are dealing with wrist or let's say handmade issues. So we'll still kind of, you know, train, but more in like a, a distraction type of mechanism. So think of like holding a dumbbell or holding a kettlebell and doing, you know, grip related stuff, deadlifting, uh, carries, things like that, where you still, being able to kind of recondition that tissue while they go through the injury process is a huge aspect. You don't want to just completely rest, right? Because if you completely rest, you decondition that tissue. And when you decondition that tissue, now you've got to start from basically square one and go beyond where you were to pre-injury levels to get you back to where you want to be. So, you know, again, if doctors are immobilizing the wrists or, or things like that, you know, we'll just make some modifications, right? Again, we're not going to you know, we like to kind of collaborate with doctors. We don't like to kind of butt heads with them. But at the same point in time, if they're just saying, hey, rest for six weeks and then after six weeks go to PT, well, we know that we can be a little bit more, uh, a little bit more of an active approach with regards to the recovery process there. I always tell people, listen, if you've got an injury, try and get it addressed right away. You know, resting and waiting is just going to delay the whole recovery process. So we tell people when they've got things going on to get in and potentially hopefully see us um, so that we can get an idea and say, okay, yeah, doc recommends, hey, immobilize for a little while. But what can you do in the meantime to still strengthen and maintain mobility, maintain some of that strength in the forearm and wrist and hand so that you're not really kind of struggling once you come out of that, you know, mobilization period? Yeah, uh, I definitely really like the, you know, the grip strength type activities, um, whether it's you carrying the dumbbells or even, you know, maybe carrying uh, plates, you know, 45 yeah. pound plates or something like that with the finger grips, right. challenging those muscles. Because I think as a society, we've gotten away from having to use our hands as much with this great technology that we have in front of sure. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Phones. We're, right. not, we're not out there having to, you know, 
fun to the hammers unless you're working construction or whatever, you know, right. doing farm work stuff like that. Right. You know, majority of us aren't doing a lot of that. And so we're not yeah. getting the same amount of grip strength. I think I saw something the other day that the average uh, male from like 20 to 40 years old has 20 to 30 pound less grip strength than they did 50 to 60 years ago. I, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it for sure. That's a huge, that's a huge deal. Right. Right. Absolutely. And, and I think, too, if you look at it on the flip side, too, then you have the other end of the spectrum where you've got people that are sitting in front of computers and typing away. And, you know, again, these micro accumulations of stress over time and then going to swing a golf club like that all plays into the picture. Right. So we need to kind of consider, hey, listen, if you got wrist issues, yes, that's happening on golf. But what else are you doing during your day to day? Right. Is your job requiring you to type on the computer all day where it's again, you don't think of it because it's, it's part of your daily activity. But those small little routines and accumulations of stress over time can then kind of ultimately rear its ugly head once you get on the golf course and do something with with some speed and with some impact there. Right. So, you know, we, that's why, again, looking at the big picture and asking the right questions is so important, because if you're just focusing strictly just on golf and not asking them about, hey, what are you doing from a day to day standpoint that could be contributing to this? then we could be missing the picture there. Yeah, no, definitely. I think another thing I've kind of gotten into when talking with some people is is sleep positions, right? And, and how that how that that can definitely play a factor depending on on the issue. Obviously, right. uh, maybe not as big of an effect on a wrist, except for you know maybe the person that sleeps you know with that wrist tucked in there. Exactly right. Um, but that's definitely been. I mean, you said anything should be getting eight hours of sleep, and that's a long long period of time that you could be potentially in a a similar position that right. could be in your, your condition. So absolutely. And yeah. too, like if people are immobilized, let's say the wrist is immobilized in like a splint or a brace. Sometimes people that's, that's uncomfortable for people. Right. So, but yet the doctor wants you to do that. And again, if that's affecting your sleep, then you need to consider that as well. If they're usually getting seven to eight hours of sleep and all of a sudden they're in a splint and they're not sleeping as well, then what are you going to do to modify some of that a little bit to kind of figure out what's that happy medium to allow them to see pro progress, but not just feel frustrated by the fact that, hey, listen, I'm, I'm sleeping terribly because of the splint. What can we do to kind of mitigate that? Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, you know, some of those basic things that, that we take for granted a lot of times. You sleep, nutrition, you know, just generalized movement and, yeah. and whatnot. Um, definitely play a bigger factor. And, you know, if you Absolutely. want to be really good about or if you're really serious about getting better at something, you know, taking those three things seriously and uh, almost doing it like it's your job, yep. right? It's your job to sleep. It's your job to eat healthy. It's your job to to get some activity in. Yep. Then, then it gives you a different outlook, and you'll see a huge change in things, you know, with consistency. Yeah, and again, like you said, those are the things we uh, take for granted, and you know, unfortunately, those. You know, once once those things are removed and all of a sudden you're maybe uh, not as healthy as you used to be, and all of a sudden now you have to make it a priority. Well, when you should have been making it a priority all, all along. Yeah, I mean, in, obviously in the physical therapy profession, the standard person you think of is the older lady or older gentleman that's having aches and pains, and that's who we work with and whatnot, or, yeah. you know, keeping them from balance, balance issues or whatever. But obviously that's not – Completely true, but we have had the opportunity to work with a lot of older, older uh, folks, and all of them say pretty much the same thing. When you talk with them, they're always like, "Well, if I would have known such and such beforehand, right. how I would have done it." Right. And so, you know, one of the big things is, okay, if I would have known that, you know, continuing to exercise, continuing to do like mobility work or something like that, then then that would have changed my how I feel right now. And so, one thing I always think about in my in my mind, I'll get that older person who's 
hunched over, you know, hunched back in Notre Dame type type thing there. And I'm always right. like, I don't want to be that person. So I'm making sure I'm doing, you know, thoracic mobilities at the yeah. gym to make sure yeah. that, you know, in that or I'm just monitoring how I'm I'm sitting or, or whatever. Because I'm like, I get that picture of that person and I get refreshed that every once in a while when I get somebody coming in the door and I'm like, yeah, I don't want to be that. So. Right. right. And I think like, listen, we're, we're, we're all guilty of it. Right. I, I think, listen, if, if you think that, you know, what you're doing is perfect each and every day, then maybe we need to kind of reevaluate re kind of just the whole mindset there. Right. You know, we're guilty of it. I've got three kids. You've got kids. You know, you know there are going to be some days like right now I'm, I'm in a phase where my, my two year old, he's not sleeping much at all. Right. So, you know, that plays a factor into my whole day as to, OK, well, listen, I slept terribly last night. Should I train hard? Should I just do some mobility work? Should I do some recovery work? You know, these are all things that, again, if you make it, if you do it consistently enough, it becomes part of your routine. And then you don't have to think of it as like, a, you know, that's something I, I have to do, right? It's, it's, hey, listen, this is just what we have to do. This is part of the routine. Let's try and figure out how we can kind of just get it done, right? And understand that you're just kind of what we, 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 we always try and say, listen, deposit a little bit of money into the bank, right? So that when you want to take more money out, like playing golf, things like that, you have the reserves to be able to do that. Yeah. And, you know, I think we, we always hear the term of being consistent, right? As being, being super important. And that consistency that develops that habit. But I heard something just the other day. I want to say it was on the 18 Strong podcast. Uh, and they were talking about adaptability. And this was more referring to golf. But I think in sure. general in life, you know, your ability to to go with the flow, to make changes as as needed is is just as important. Because Absolutely. last night my daughter didn't go to bed until I think it was like 1030. Right. right? At times at 8, 830 usually. Right. So. Like that's a two hour difference. So my, my evening just got completely thrown out the window right. and, and I'm waking up this morning going, okay, I, I go to the gym. I usually try to get up uh, around five o'clock to get to the gym. So I can, you know, if I'm seeing patients in the morning and whatnot, I can sure. get that out of the way and just kind of jump start my day. But you know, waking up this morning is like, okay, I'm going to give myself a little extra sleep yep. and then go to the gym because I was able to have you know a little bit more flexibility this morning. Absolutely. And so, you know, just being adaptable as well as that consistency but yeah you know, to that habit i'm used to going to the gym so i i still woke up was just like okay i gotta go to the gym i gotta get up i gotta go yeah right yeah. like yeah but altering things a little bit as as the time goes absolutely it's well said the adaptability part is, is a key component when you've got multiple things and you know wearing maybe multiple hats during the day like you need to be, be able to be adaptable to the situation and you know just try and you know, figure out what's the best solution for you at that point in time. So that, I think that's that's really well said. Yeah, and when you look at the, from a purely golf standpoint, being adaptable on the course, uh, you know, some days your putting's just not there. Whatever it's your reading or your stroke or whatever it may be, it's just not there. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, some days it's hot, some days it's not. And so you just got to play according to to how it is, alter your expectations, I guess, a little bit, so you don't get yeah. kind of so frustrated. But yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and just wrap up some uh, with our some of our wrap up questions here. It's been a great conversation about the wrist and some of the other you know side topics that we got onto there. But sure, sure. let us know uh, what what's your favorite course or favorite golf memory. So favorite course, and again, I just played this last week. So Oak Hill Oak Hill Country Club is in our backyard, right? So this is where the PGA Championship was in, in thirteen. It's going to be here again in twenty twenty three. Uh, so Oak Hill. Um, after the senior PGA, which was here, uh, was it 2018? Um, they shut down the East course. So Oak Hill Country Club's got two courses, got an East and West course. East is a championship course. So they shut down the course 
and they renovated it completely to make it more of a Don, uh, Donald Ross style, right? Get back to kind of what it really originally was when it was first created. Um, so uh, I had the opportunity to play with a, a, a client of ours last week um, who's a member there, and the course is just phenomenal. Um, the bunkers are insane. They've added a ton of bunkers. Um, they've redone all the greens. Um, some of the bunkers, if you hit into them, I mean, some of the lips on the bunkers are about four to six feet high. So you're like, I mean, I, if you get close enough to the lip, you're, there's no shot, right? So you have to go backwards to go forwards, right? So um, it was just an incredible opportunity to kind of see, because again, I played the East course, um, you know, before they renovated and now getting to play it again uh, after they renovated, like 2023 is going to be a treat. And Again, they haven't even grown out a lot of the rough yet. Like the greens still aren't glass-like, even though they're fast, they're not going to be at championship level yet. So um, I would say my favorite golf course that I've played, and i played a good amount of them. Um, you know, the fact that we have Oak Hill Country Club in our backyard here in Rochester is something that, uh, you know, we, we, we take for granted. But when you have the opportunity to play it, man, it's, it's like nothing else. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I hate bunkers, so I don't <laughs> yeah, I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone who who enjoys hitting out of a bunker. That's for sure. This is true. This is true. <laughs> All right. Uh, what's one takeaway you would like our listeners to apply for today or from today's topic? Yeah. So you know, talking maybe just kind of wrapping up. I think the important part is to understand the length of time that you've been dealing with an injury will ultimately will play into how long it takes you to recover from it. You know, I think a lot of golfers who've been dealing with, let's say, either wrist issues or low back issues that have been going on for months or years, and they want the quick fix. They want to be better two weeks ago, right? And I think you need to set an expectation to understand that all these stresses that you're putting on the body, and if your body isn't able to handle those stresses over an extended amount of time, um, what we call capacity, right? If the body's capacity isn't where it's supposed to be and you're exceeding that, um, then it's going to create some irritations or sensitivities that ultimately kind of build up over months or weeks or months or whatever it may be. So I think, you know, for your listeners, I think the important part is for those that are recreational golfers or, or any golfers in general, understand that the length of time that you've been dealing with something, even if it's been really relatively minor, will ultimately play into your recovery process. And ultimately being proactive and, and getting in front of it before it becomes a larger issue, I think is a huge, huge concept that a lot of people just don't understand they're reactive in nature something gets really really bad then i'll address it right or if it's hey something's a little minor right now maybe i should go see jeremy or i should go see someone to get an idea as to hey is this something i need to be worried about or is there something i can kind of work around or do we need to have you kind of come in for some treatment so we can get it under control and then address how to make sure that this doesn't come back so i definitely think the big you know takeaway is understand that how long you've been dealing with something is definitely going to play into the recovery process. And then ultimately what you do during that recovery process is going to affect and impact how fast you recover from it. Um, those are all key things that we have conversations with, with our athletes, whether it be golfers, hockey players, whoever, um, to give them a better picture as to what the expectation is of us and with regards to them, us treating them, um, but also two of them to make sure that they do their part to make sure that they can get better, get better faster. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, the time frame, you know, I'll see somebody that's been having back pain for only a week. And usually within that one session, maybe two sessions, they're they're feeling better again because because we've, we've been able to quickly change things, things that and tighten up, lock up, whatever you want right. to call it. And, and they haven't altered their movement pattern too much from a stand from a long term standpoint. And so, yeah, yeah, I think that's that's definitely key. And so I usually be like, hey, if you've been having something that's recurring you know let's say golf again if you're out two three times and each time you've had the same issue 
get it checked out. You know, the one time, yeah, maybe it was a fluke, but it wouldn't be a bad idea to get it checked out either. Yep. But, you know, definitely that two or third time, you're still having that same recurring thing, get it checked out because the sooner you get it checked out, the better you're going to get uh, back to, to playing. Yeah. I mean, I think the education process is key, right? Like, again, a lot of what we do is, yes, we do exercises. Yes, we do, you know, hands-on stuff if need be. But I think the education piece of, hey, listen, if something is bothering you, you know that you can always kind of reach out if you need be, right? So having them understand, hey, listen, I've got a wrist issue. I got to I got to call Jeremy just to see if something, if there's something I need to come in for or something I can manage my own, right? Sometimes that, that one-off is, hey, take it maybe kind of just as uh, maybe a bump in the road. And if it goes away, then you don't worry about it, right? But if it continues to happen over and over again, you know, that then also becomes, okay, well, now I need to start thinking about what's my approach as to how to get it under control. And that's why having someone like a physical therapist in your corner to allow you to kind of figure out, hey, we're not going to tell you to rest. And the type, the right type of physical therapist is important as well, right? You know, you need to find the right match so that they, the provider that you have matches up with what your goals are so that they understand like your, your best interest is at our best, is what we're looking for so that we can get you back on the course as fast as possible. Yeah. I mean, you know, I always tell people if, if I become obsolete, that means I've done my job. Absolutely. No question. Right? Not a great business model, but business I know model. that I've done the right thing. You got it. You, you want to make sure that you you try and get them better as fast as you can, but also understand that the long term game is what you're looking for as well. And they need to understand that as well. Right. Like if, if they feel better, also they think pain is their whole barometer. Right. Like if my pain's down, hey, I'm good to go. I can go back to doing all the stuff I was doing. Yes, you might be able to, but you also need to put in some work after that to make sure that this doesn't come back. Yeah, yeah, I try to have that conversation. You know, it's like usually you're gonna see that pain, you know, decrease in the three to four visits, maybe up to six visits, depending on what the issue is. Yeah. You're gonna see a big decrease in amount that in that time frame. Um, yeah. and and then but that doesn't mean six visits is all you're gonna have. Yeah, have you know, probably a couple months worth of okay, you're gonna make sure you're doing the strengthening, whether it's actually coming to see me or whether it's at home. Yeah. But as long as we're getting some of that you know, more of that strength training stuff because that's that resiliency so it doesn't come back like you said. So. You got it. That's that, that's that whole reconditioning process we talked about with the wrist, right? We got to recondition that tissue yeah, yeah. so that, you know, that tissue can continue to kind of build up some of that stress tolerance so that as you continue to apply stress to whatever body part it is, that tissue is readily able, uh, able to handle that. All right. Last uh, wrap-up question here. Who should we get on the podcast? Oh man! So you're looking for medical? You're looking for fitness? You're looking for? I mean, what what, what are you looking for, Jeremy? It doesn't matter. Who do you think we need to hear from that you feel like maybe, you know, you got you got a lot of the big names you hear about all the time. But sure. if you want sure. one of those, that's great. But even if it's one of those. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, from from a, a strength coach standpoint, or let's say a strength conditioning standpoint, I think you know, a local guy here that we work with here at Cobblestone, um, Ben Halleck. He's a he's our fitness director here at Cobblestone. Um, he's a TPI fitness level three, wealth of knowledge. He's been working in the golf niche for about the last five years. Um, has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to actually training golf athletes because that's all he sees, right? Um, so I definitely think he would be a, a good person to kind of maybe look at the fitness side of things and how he kind of blends that. Like him and I work together in addition to our head pro, Neil, to kind of create that TPI model of the instructor, medical, and fitness. Um, I definitely think Ben would be a, a wealth of knowledge for you to kind of come on the show. Um, and then, you know, from a medical standpoint, I would say uh, Dr. Kevin O'Connor, uh, Kev is uh, the owner of Impact PT and Performance out in uh, California. Um, he's a TPI Medical 3, um, doing a, an amazing job with all the, the golf athletes in the California area. I definitely think he would be a great person to come on. And then another uh, PT, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of stop with that one, is uh, Zach Wagner. 
uh, Zach Wagner. He's actually um, uh, a, a PT and a strength coach um, in the Boston, Massachusetts area there. Um, another guy that does a lot of work for it. I definitely think those guys um, just kind of, you know, maybe not, you know, over well-known kind of on the social media ranks or whatever I mean, but the, the stuff they're doing locally is so good um, that it would be, I would be remiss not to kind of mention those names. Cool. Well, yeah. Um, so I'll have to reach out to them or reach out to you and get in contact with them. Yeah, for sure. We'd be happy to put you in contact with them. Cool. Well, Russ, thank you so much for coming on, man. Uh, before we wrap up, let us know how can we support you and everything you're doing up there uh, with Men of Performance. Yeah, so you can uh, you can find us. You know, we do most of our work on Instagram. So um, our Instagram handle is at Mana Performance Therapy. So Mana is M A N A. Um, you know, you can check out our website as well. We do uh, obviously in person, remote stuff. Um, we also have a podcast like you, uh, like you mentioned. Uh, we have our Pain Free Golf Performance Podcast. Um, it's been it's really been really fun. You know, I know we've, we've had a lot of overlap with a lot of the, the guests that you've had and, and I've had, and it's really cool just kind of hear the different conversations that are talking about golf because ultimately our goal is to help golfers regardless of the level or regardless of, you know, how, where they're playing um, just improve their performance, whether that's, you know, physically, mentally, uh, emotionally, whatever it may be. So um, those are some ways you can kind of get a hold of me. Um, I, I would say Instagram, if you want to kind of just shoot me a message and, and if you have any further questions, that would probably be the best way to do it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. That's it for today on the golf under par podcast. We'll have all of Russ's information in the show notes. Thank you so much, Russ, and all of you listeners. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate it, man. Hey, guys. If you enjoyed this content, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes so that we can get this in front of more people. Thank you. Do you want to take your fitness to the next level? Join our Golf Fitness Tips Facebook group to learn more about how you can improve your fitness and improve your golf game by upping your potential through mobility, strengthening, and wellness tips. Again, our Facebook group is Golf Fitness Tips. We'll see you there. Have a good one.